Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Talking some winners and losers from week nine's college football action, which I believe was the best of this season. Good morning. It's Monday, November 1st. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by our producer, Lance Glenn. Happy Halloween, Lance. We're recording on Sunday morning. You and I, we, we, we did our podcast together, I think week zero preview. We haven't been together on the mic since then. It's, good, it's a good time to chop it up. Um, you've got some Big Ten chops. And we've got some Big Ten games we want to talk about. You've got some opinions on the state of Florida's program. And uh, I'm excited to do this with you. How, how, how are you doing? And how did you enjoy your Saturday? Yeah, well, first and foremost, Trey, like you said to me, I'll say back to you. Happy Halloween. Um, I know, as we've talked previously, you have some big uh, costume ideas that you're been floating around uh, for later today. Um, but that's a conversation yeah. for another day. Saturday was great. Definitely one of the best, if not the best Saturdays of the season. Just And, and we kind of knew it going into it. Uh, so many ranked matchups, specifically in the Big Ten that you mentioned. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Florida, Georgia, which we'll get to as well. Just so many, that being in the SEC. But well, there's just so many great matchups on Saturday. And it really, I think, really... Um, it was worth just sitting in a chair, having a, a couple drinks next to you and watching college football for 12 hours straight. I love that a lot of the games, the Big Ten games, especially the one in East Lansing, very just Big Ten football. Late October, you know, we got Halloween going on. We've got the leaves are turning. South Bend was gorgeous uh, for Notre Dame, North Carolina as well. It was awesome. Let's, let's start with Michigan State, Michigan. Michigan was up 30 to 14 and... I don't, I don't know how Jim Harbaugh lost this one. That, that's not my take here. I'm not making this like, oh, Jim Harbaugh loses to another top 10 team. Jim Harbaugh loses to another rival, to another you know, Big Ten East power. The unlucky fumble with J.J. McCarthy. I'm a fan of trying to get that five-star freshman involved because I think he's the guy you're going to need, um, even though Cade McNamara was very, very good Lance. But I, I think this is more about Michigan State, right? Kenneth Walker, five touchdowns. He's my Heisman front runner right now, not that I have a vote. The receivers were as advertised as far as explosiveness. Peyton Thorne threw the two picks, but they battled back. They made enough plays, 37-33. To me, this is more about Michigan State making its case to be um, a top four playoff team on Tuesday and a legitimate threat to Ohio State, especially based on what we saw a few hours later in Columbus. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Kenneth Walker, you know, you said it. He's your Heisman favorite at the moment. He's probably got to be everyone's Heisman favorite at the moment. I think, what do you have? Four or five touchdowns uh, yesterday against Michigan. Five rushing yep. touchdowns on 23 carries, 197 yards, and a long of 58. Not empty calorie numbers, like legitimately incredible runs. And that's a very, very good Michigan defense, too, nonetheless. I tweeted it last night as I was watching, actually, the Ohio State-Penn State game. Based on the way these teams are playing, the most deserving playoff team in the Big Ten, I think far and away, as of right now at least, is Michigan State. I mean, Ohio State, yeah, they beat Penn State. It was great, but they didn't look very impressive doing it. I think you can make a make a make an argument that Penn State kind of dominated most of the game or, or at least outplayed Ohio State in a lot of aspects. But Michigan State at home in a rivalry game, the Paul Bunyan game, they just fought adversity off. 
stormed back. They took advantage of turnovers that Michigan gave to them. And look, they are playing at a level that I don't think any of us expected. Mel Tucker, after going two and five uh, last year in the COVID year, now what are they, seven, eight, and no, whatever it is. It was just such an impressive showing from them. Look, I had Michigan State. I think the spread was plus four and a half. I got it at earlier the week. I thought it was going to be a field goal, you know, late score Mm -hmm. game. Look, I thought Michigan was going to win money line. I thought Michigan State was going to cover. Michigan State ended up doing both. But just what a performance by the Spartans. Because 30 to 14, like you said, it's very easy at that spot, even in a rivalry game, to kind of collapse and understand that the game might not be going your way, but they stuck with what they did well running the ball. They, you know, continued to feed Kenneth Walker. They didn't panic. And it ultimately led to, I think, one of the biggest Michigan State victories in a long time. Obviously, Mm -hmm. biggest Michigan State victory in the Mel Tucker era so far. And it's crazy to think Mel Tucker, even in a COVID year where they went two and five, he's now two and oh against Michigan. And it's not, you know, you mentioned Jim Harbaugh and, and I don't think Harbaugh is the story, but that's not a good look where a second year head coach in his first normal year, is already 2-0 and against you. The Big Ten East round robin is about to get really wild, Lance. Ohio State plays at Nebraska next Saturday. I don't think that's going to be competitive, but we've seen, we've seen teams fight for their coach this season and, and come up big. Miami, LSU, Virginia Tech last weekend or, or yesterday, and, and then Ohio State plays Purdue. Those are Big Ten West teams. I'm, I'm getting to the good stuff. And then Ohio State hosts Michigan State on November 20th, and then Ohio State goes to Michigan on November 27th. For Michigan's part, you want to say that everything's still ahead of it. You know, they, they're going to have to hope that Michigan State loses twice and, and Michigan's going to have to run the table. Michigan's schedule is easy. You got Indiana in there. You got Maryland in addition to Penn State, Ohio State. So it's easy, um, easier. I don't know. I, I My hope for Michigan, because this is kind of a fun team to watch, and I, I have enjoyed the Harbaugh redemption story. My hope for Michigan, and I guess part of this is on the media as well, is they find a way to stay relevant through the month of November. Because I enjoyed watching this team. I enjoy Aiden Hutchinson. I enjoy the two running backs. I enjoy the quarterback controversy. I like Jim Harbaugh. So that's my take there. Lance, let's 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 jump down to Jacksonville and we'll come back up to Big Ten country for um, Ohio State, Penn State. Georgia, Florida got away from Florida in about a three-minute span of game time. And once Georgia takes a big lead on you, you're toast. You're absolutely, absolutely toast. And and you know, Florida gets a late touchdown to avoid, avoid a shutout. Uh, what would have been a historic shutout, but all in all, a really disappointing day for Florida to lose thirty-four to seven to Georgia. We know what Georgia is. I thought it was really interesting that you, even with a healthy JT Daniels, Kirby Smart shows Stetson Bennett. We talked with Jake Rowe on the podcast about that this week. I was surprised by the decision to go with Stetson. I don't know if Georgia is going to run into anyone. Truly, Lance, I truly don't know if that's ever going to matter. Like, are we going to see Stetson Bennett win a college football playoff? That's insane to think about. Do you want to chew on that a little bit? Especially after last season, it really is crazy to think about. But I, as I was watching that game, and I was just as surprised as you are, you know, you mentioned we had Jake Rowe on the podcast last week, and and he said 99% that he thought uh, Daniels was going to play, and he thought that Daniels was also, there was a pretty decent chance that JT Daniels was going to start. Now, obviously, Stetson Bennett goes in, and... I wonder, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this too, if we've seen the end of the JT Daniels era in Georgia. I mean, like you said, I don't know if Georgia is going to be challenged. They're not going to be challenged the rest of the way in the regular season. Obviously, everyone has that matchup against Alabama circled in the SEC championship game. But if they roll Stetson Bennett out in that SEC championship game and he 
does enough for them to win. Most likely if they win that game, I think there's a pretty decent chance they might knock Alabama out of the playoff if that Mm -hmm. does occur. And I don't foresee any other team besides Alabama even challenging them. So if they knock Alabama out in that SEC championship game and they have to play, let's say, one of Cincinnati, Oklahoma, or Ohio State in the playoff, I don't foresee any of those other three teams challenging Georgia the way Alabama possibly could. So I don't think it would even matter if JT Daniels could play or not. Like, I think there's a very realistic chance that JT Daniels time as a Georgia Bulldog. Now, whatever he decides to do for the rest of his career, whether it's go to the NFL or or transfer, we'll see. But I think the JT Daniels era at Georgia, not really to any fault of his own because of an injury is now over. And it's Stetson Bennett show moving forward. Hard to disagree with you because even before that, like Kirby smart is an absolutely conservative quarterback manager, Lance. The last thing he's going to do is ride Stetson Bennett all the way through October and November and then get to Atlanta and change quarterbacks. So I don't think he's doing that. If Stetson Bennett's the start of the rest of the month, barring injury or or poor play, and he, look, ran around. He was fine. He was 10 for 19, 161 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. And again, his team won 34 to 7. But if they get to Atlanta, they're not changing quarterbacks at that point. My one concern, Lance, and I don't want to talk too much playoff because we got all month for it, and this is a storyline I'm sure we'll hit on. I'll just throw it out there now to the to the universe. I know Georgia's defense is historically great, but if you're pitting Stetson Bennett against Bryce Young or Stetson Bennett against Caleb Williams or Stetson Bennett against CJ Stroud, I'm just saying like I don't feel as good about it as I would with JT Daniels in there. Um, and and JT's not a perfect quarterback, but it's kind of echoing what Jake said last week. You know, he he has a little bit more oomph to him other than the legs. Uh, the the mobility aspect, but it's gonna be really interesting. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't I didn't really think that like the Georgia quarterback conundrum would be a bigger deal than than Florida's. I feel for Anthony Richardson, honestly. I do too. I feel like he wasn't even put in a position to win or or, or a position oh. to make plays. And and look, that's on Dan Mullen, right? Like Dan Mullen, I don't think went in with a game plan that could put Anthony Richardson in a position to to really make plays. I thought the interception by Nicobe Dean that ended up becoming a pick six, I thought was just a poor read by him. It was a late throw. And it was either an outside hitch or an out route, whatever it was. It was just a late throw. And Kobe Dean obviously jumped it and, and took it to the house. But I just I don't think Dan Mullen prepared Anthony Richardson to play. I don't think he prepared him to win. Mm. And I just don't think he put that offense as a whole in any position to win. I thought it was a poor game plan from the start. And look, the game obviously did get away from them towards the end of that second half when Georgia went from three nothing to what was it? Twenty four nothing, I think, at halftime or, or 17 nothing, whatever it was at halftime. But. It was three nothing for a while. Then it yeah, it was three nothing for a while, and that's when Bennett hit the bomb, and then the Kobe Dean had the pick six. It was twenty four nothing at halftime. Yeah. It was like within literally a minute and a half, like a minute uh, yeah. and fifty seconds. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So yeah. look, I just don't think Anthony Richardson was was put in a position to play, and it's crazy because for so long we were wondering, you know, when was Dan Mullen going to make the move from Emory Jones to Anthony Richardson, and we kept saying he's got to do it, he's got to do it, he's got to do it. He did it, but he didn't prepare Anthony Richardson at all and he didn't put him in any position to be successful at all. So he kind of just threw him to the wolves and said, Hey man, Mm -hmm. everyone wants you to be the guy. You're the guy now go do something. I think he took too long to do it. I know Anthony was hurt against Alabama or else he would have played more. And Emory Jones held up well in that game, but that's not a good time for Anthony Richardson to make his first start. Look, Dan Mullen, I trust him with quarterbacks. I trust him with offense. When he got the job here down there in Gainesville, I was like, look, I know he's not going to recruit top five classes, but once they start putting 40 points up on people, it's going to recruit itself. Last year, when they were putting 40 points up on people with dynamic offensive talents, including two first rounders, the recruiting did not 
I thought they would recruit themselves. Yeah. It didn't. I think it's very clear. Florida fans are extremely upset with Dan Mullen. They're four and four right now. I think they're going to run the table in November and be eight and four, like last year when they had eight wins. Lance, not that someone, not that you're going to walk up to a Florida fan tonight at trick or treating and say, "Hey, buddy, don't worry, you're beating South Carolina, uh, Sanford, Missouri, um, Florida State, and Missouri." They say, "Okay, Lance, uh, you know, whatever, bring, uh, give me back Urban Meyer." So, look, I was reading Thomas Goldcamp's column. It's clear that the rope, as Dan Mullen said Saturday in the post game, is starting to slip out from Florida a little bit. They're going to have to fire their defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham. They're going to have to hit the portal. And Lance, they tried. They tried to cover up their talent disparity. Like disparity with they, they tried to bring in Eric Gilbert, and then he decommitted. He's not even playing for Georgia. Demarcus Bowman, running back from Florida, he's hardly seen the field, and they have a great senior in Damian Pierce anyway. Like they're they're trying. Justin Shorter from Penn State two years ago is just a guy. So, so they're trying to do that, but they're not recruiting well enough. He's got to retool his staff to get some absolute war daddy assistance to go hit the trail for him if he's not going to do it hard enough. Because if I don't think, I think it's too early to fire him. I think he's a really good coach. I don't know who they're going to hire um, if they did, but go eight and four, retool your staff, get some energy in there. And if you don't win nine or 10 games next year, then you're done. But right now, the buy, buyout's 12. I don't think that's too steep, but it'll come down even more. I'm an advocate for Dan Mullen, give him one more year, but. Let's hope that the tone he showed Saturday night in which he was acknowledging that this was not great rather than being the stubborn guy he can be. Let's hope that he carries that tone with him into the offseason. Well, look, you're more of an advocate for Dan Mullen than I am. I think the writing was on the wall that he was having some trouble last season because, you know, we all looked at Florida last season as the best team that they've had in a while. And they went eight and four. You know, you mentioned Kyle Pitts, uh, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Trask, I think was a second round quarterback. So they had yeah. tons of offensive talent. And even so, we looked at them as, you know, this Florida team is the best that they've had in, in a pretty long time. And and they, you know, very much underwhelmed if, if you're looking at it that way. And then this year, look, they should go four and oh, these last four games, they should finish eight and four again. But, you know, it's just between the tough losses and, and games where like LSU, where they just don't look like they, they're even ready to play. Uh, the wacky at times press conferences that Dan Mullen has decent part of the fan base, just, I think disdain towards him. And, and, and I think the worst part of it all, and I saw it on Twitter last night, I don't remember who was it, but there were pictures of um, after the game, the Florida band was playing the alma mater and there were only a handful of players out there. Dan Mullen was not out there. It just shows that there's a lot going on in that locker room that, a lot of negativity going on in that locker room and he doesn't, he might not. And again, we're just speculating here, have it all together in there. So I think, you know, you win these next four games, you finish in four, like you said, next year, obviously being a make or break year for Dan Mullen, you retool, be it the transfer portal or whatever your coaching staff. Um, but you know, he's got to really get it together because if they somehow some way finish seven and five this year, even if they do go three and one down the stretch, that's that's tough to swallow because these next four games, they should be favored pretty significantly in all of them. So you really can't have a dud in, in any of the four. So Florida is obviously a loser. We promised more winners and losers. I'm going to give you a few quick ones and then we'll jump up back to Big Ten country to talk Ohio State versus Penn State. Lance, Arizona State was coming off a bye against a Washington State team without a real head coach and several staff members. Arizona State was favored by two touchdowns and lost 34 to 21 to Washington State. And that was after a few you know, last minute touchdowns by the Sun Devils a few weeks ago. They had control over the Pac-12 South. I had Ryan Abraham on to try to break down the eight of the Pac-12 with me. Our conclusion was that for now, it was Arizona State's conference or at least division to lose. 
that's out the window. Utah now uh, has control over the Pac-12 South. We'll see how long that lasts, but that's really disappointing for an Arizona State team with a with an upperclassman quarterback and, and with Herm Edwards. And then I'll give you another loser: the Iowa Hawkeyes. Fraud alert, right? Like, yeah, I mean, e- easy, obvious joke. Yeah, I mean, they lost twenty-seven-seven at Wisconsin. I'm not going to get talked into here as Wisconsin as a as a good team, Lance. I'm just not. Uh, in fact, Minnesota now controls its own destiny in the Big Ten West, which is stupendous considering Minnesota lost to Bowling Green not too long ago. But uh, Iowa, you know, Petrus well, cra- isn't the guy. How crazy is that? Is that what was it? Two or three weeks ago, we were talking about how Iowa was basically a lock to make the uh, the Big Ten title game because they were undefeated, yeah. had just beaten Penn State, and now they're three and two in conference, and I think tied for second. So what a fall from grace for the Hawkeyes! I figured they wouldn't win the Big Ten title, but yeah, you're right. Like you they, they were, they, they were for sure. Thought they were, yeah. would run away with the Big Ten West. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to give you a few quick winners. Notre Dame. I actually watched some of this. I like what Chris Hummer wrote about Notre Dame compared it to that 37 year old pitcher with an 85 mile an hour fastball who gets the out three outs and you don't know how like Notre Dame has this weird quarterback rotation that no one's ever going to properly explain to me. Uh, they have a bad offensive line. The defense doesn't have Kyle Hamilton and it gets gashed way too more, way more often than it should, but they create takeaways. Notre Dame is weirdly explosive on offense when it needs to be. Kyron Williams had that 91-yard touchdown run, Lance, uh, against what North a, Carolina with, was, a, with a stiff arm. Yeah, I mean, it's just such, such a good running back. And Notre Dame is 7-1, Lance. Uh, they're, they're not exciting. They're probably not going to make the college football playoff, but this is... This should make every Notre Dame fan happy because Brian Kelly has clearly built a really good program. This is a this is a rebuilding season. This is a really rebuilding season, and they're seven and one. So, got to give a little love to them, and then a little love to Miami as well for the second week in a row beat somebody it's not supposed to. They they returned the favor from four years ago when Pitt beat them, and Miami knocked them, and Kenny Pickett off. They won thirty eight to thirty four at Heinz Field. Richard freshman Tyler Van Dyke was awesome, four hundred twenty six yards and three touchdowns. So. I, li- I like Manny Diaz. I covered him in college when he was the defense coordinator at Texas. I'd like to see him keep his job. Full disclosure, like at 24-7 sports, we've, we've been prepared now for a few weeks for that, that guy to get, for, for Manny to get fired. We've had the Manny Diaz firing content ready to go, and all Miami's done is reel off two straight wins. So kind of similar to what Virginia Tech did this past weekend against Georgia Tech. Okay, Lance, I've, I've gotten my quick, my quick hits in. You were on the Penn State Lions 24-7 podcast. You're the producer. Uh, late Saturday night. Give me the give me the the takeaway from that Ohio State Penn State game. Yeah, late Saturday night. I think we started recording at like one fifteen, one thirty Eastern time. Uh, so it was definitely a late night uh, for me. Look, I was on with you know I was producing for for Sean Fitz and Tyler Donahue, and look, they do a great job at Lions twenty four seven. So if you haven't checked that site out, uh, you definitely should, and check out the Lions twenty four seven podcast too. But they were. I would say optimistic with the way Penn State played. Now, granted, obviously a loss is a loss, and now Penn State has dropped three straight. They were 5-0, and um, and obviously injuries played a role, and you could say two of those games, obviously Iowa and Illinois, but they, the fact is they've lost three straight, but they were optimistic with how they played. I mean, Sean Clifford played well, um, besides the, the interception that he had uh, and the fumble, and unfortunately for Penn State, those turnovers came at costly times. Obviously, Jahan Dotson did what Jahan Dotson does um, as the best receiver, in my opinion, in college football. I don't think many disagree Whoa. Uh, with that. You what? really? You think Jahan Dotson is the best receiver in college football? 100%. This year, 100%. You don't think Jahan Dotson is the best receiver in football? I mean, I'd go Drake London, the USC receiver who uh, got I, I injured mean, on Saturday. I, and and yeah. then I, and I don't think... Unfortunate, unfortunate injury. But I think Jahan Dance. Dotson, I think Jahan Dotson, what he does for Penn State, that offense is just... And I understand, obviously, Sean Clifford, that injury... 
change what that offense can do. But that offense, I couldn't imagine that offense without Jahan Dotson with no running game for Penn State. They have no running game whatsoever. Um, I look, hold on real Jahan quick. Dotson, without I, him, that offense would be nothing. Look, I think you spent too many late, late nights at the Lions 24-7 guys. You're right. I probably I, have spent too many late nights. I don't know if to, to Jahan Dotson, I mean, I would have taken, I, I would take Chris Olave and Gary Wilson over him. I don't so, think, I, Chris those guys who shared a field with them. who didn't impress I think, and and credit to Penn State's defensive. That's backfield. not his fault. They hardly got in the yeah, ball. And, and credit to Penn State's defensive backfield. They have a very good secondary. Yeah, they do. Jahan, I mean, Joey Porter is fantastic. So is Jaquan Brisker um, and the other guys back there. But I think Jahad Dotson is better than both of them. I really do. And, and okay. you might disagree, but I, I think Jahad Dotson is a a stellar, uh, soon to be first round receiver who can make plays both. Obviously catching the ball and was in Wildcat yesterday and had a rushing touchdown. He's just so dynamic, so elusive, uh, has great hands, has great ball awareness. Um, I think it was against Illinois where Sean Clifford just basically threw it up. Should have been an easy pick. Jahan Dawson from seven to 10 yards away, just came out of nowhere, jumped in front of the Illinois defender and it ended up becoming a 30 to 40 yard completion. He's just a fantastic receiver. But look, at the end of the day, Penn State, they lost another one. And, you know, they are now that recruiting class is 0-5, the Sean Clifford recruiting class. They were recruited off of a Penn State Ohio a Penn State win over Ohio State in 2016. They wow. went 0-5 against Ohio State. Um, so definitely not the five-year tenure that they wanted. But look, you know. Isn't I that a stat? Wow. Yeah. I think you should be optimistic if you're a Penn State fan that they played better. I mean, Ohio State was favored by 18 and a half. They only won by nine. And the opportunity was there for Penn State. You can't say that they didn't have opportunities to take the lead. They did in the fourth quarter, but couldn't take advantage of it. And Ohio State ended up, you know, kicking a couple field goals and, and coming out with a nine point win. Yeah. For Ohio State's perspective, the, I was reading the Bucknuts 24 7 message board. They weren't thrilled, man. Like they like what CJ Stroud's doing with his arm. They want to see him run the ball more. Uh, or at least be a little bit more willing because on those naked bootlegs and all that, like he's got plenty of green and he's not, he's not taking it. They love Travion Henderson, the defense though, because Lance, you look at this Penn state team and Clifford's like 60% and they can't run the ball and they put up 24. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's not what Ohio state fans wanted to see. And then on the flip side, that Ohio state, they, those 33 points, well, six of them were a uh, defensive touchdown. Jerron Cage was awesome. And then, I mean, how many drives inside the 20 did these, these two teams just end up getting field goals? So Ohio State, if you were picking them as a top tier team nationally, and I was doing that, you were banking on a defense that will probably give up points, but an offense that can turn the switch on and score whenever they want to. And you saw some glimpses of that, a deep crosser out to Chris Olave is like an iconic Chris Olave play, but they didn't do it enough. So I, I think 33-24 leaves Ohio State fans wanting a little bit more lance we've we've gone long um do we have anything else that you that you want to talk about i i don't know if you caught the end of clemson florida state with that bad beat yeah um, that's a tough beat um that's a tough beat for sure <laughs> oh ooh, 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 ooh. bo Nix ran for two touchdowns yes. threw for another one 276 yards they beat Ole miss matt corral was carted off the field in the first quarter return in the second quarter um, what toughness by matt corral too yeah place. i know and uh auburn controls its destiny in the sec west just FYI, yeah. Iron Bowl is going to be the incredible. Be, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you said it. The Iron Bowl is going to be a good one, especially with the way Auburn's playing. I mean, it's a much better Auburn team than I think any of us expected. And Bo Nix has kind of seen, you know, we, we talk about uh, Josh Pate's uh, late kick renaissance tour. Bo Nix has kind of seen a renaissance tour himself. So uh, definitely uh, adding a little bit more intrigue to the Iron Bowl for both Auburn and Alabama. They've done a really good job. Let me give you another one. Houston SMU game of the night. Uh, Houston kick return touchdown by Marcus Jones. 
to break a tied game, 44-37 with 17 seconds left. Mm. And Lance, the reason this is important nationally, this actually works out well for Cincinnati, in my opinion. Cincinnati has SMU on the schedule, okay? So they wanted an undefeated SMU. They won't get it, but SMU is still a good team. They still should still be ranked when Cincinnati plays them, okay? So let's say Cincinnati wins that one. And then in the American Championship, which is teams one versus two, that sets up then Houston winning winning over SMU. That sets up Cincinnati to play Houston, which should also be ranked by that point. So we have the potential now for Cincinnati to have two ranked wins uh, within the last five weeks of the season, rather than the one ranked win just being SMU. Um, I guess, of course, they could see SMU twice, but uh, it's nice to beat two different teams rather than one team twice. That's my take on Cincinnati. I don't know where they're going to be on Tuesday. I- I'd say probably top four, but maybe maybe not. Uh, the Notre Dame win helps, but Indiana looks looks like a, I don't have a word for that. So I, w- I want to throw that out there for you. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it does help to beat a different team than it does to beat SMU twice, especially in the span mm-hmm. of, you know, not a long time. Um, Cause I think it would have been maybe two or three weeks between when they would have played them. And then when they would have played them again in the uh, American uh, title game, one more game. I do want to say though, BYU, Virginia. Yeah. I stayed up for it. Did you? A, just, and I was up for it because I was recording the 24 seven podcast. What a offensive showcase to say the least. I mean, um, was- did, did t- Algier if- Five or four touchdowns. Um, he was awesome. And I mean, the first ge- half alone had 80 points. So I know I <laughs> so. took the live total of 119 and a half just because I wanted to have some fun in the second. And I was a touchdown short. BYU held up its end of the bargain. Virginia didn't, although it wasn't its fault. Brennan Armstrong got hurt. He, you could hear, uh, read his lips saying he, he broke a rib there. One of the receivers got hurt. The running back got hurt. So that's a long flight back, man, yeah. for Virginia. Uh, that's that that's kind of a, offensive performance and lose. That's, a, that's yeah. a tough one to come back from. So yeah, five touchdowns for Tyler Algier. BYU wins 66-49 in Bronco Hall's return to Provo. And uh, I feel bad for Virginia. They have a bye week and then they're, they're going to go. They're playing Notre Dame at Pitt and Virginia Tech. If they don't have Brennan Armstrong for those games, yeah. fade the Cavs. Yeah, absolutely. And one other game I do want to mention, and I feel like I'm obligated to, my Scarlet Knights defeating Illinois. <laughs> Loved told it. me 20, this wouldn't happen. I told you. Was happy with it. I was watching and um, got win number four. And they're playing for something in November. Last time Rutgers had four wins going into November was 2014. The last time they made a bowl was 2014. Fingers you know what? I'll trade. I'll, I'll trade you alma mater shout, shout outs. Uh, Texas lost 31 to 24 to Baylor. Texas is four and four, staring at four and five in the face because they're going to Iowa State next weekend. Iowa State coming off a loss at West Virginia. So I think that makes Iowa State a little bit more dangerous. Texas had a 21-10 lead in the third quarter over Baylor. They were up at one point two weeks ago, 17 to three against Oklahoma State, up over Oklahoma earlier in October, 28 to seven at one point. That sunny day in October in the Cotton Bowl on like October 9th or whatever, feels like a long time ago. And Texas's season very much changed that day when they lost to Oklahoma because this three-game slide is absolutely brutal. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian is probably thinking, what in the world do I have to coach out of these players that they're not prepared to hold on to a lead in, in, in these games? So nothing I think like it's going to get... Nothing like seeing Charlie Strong and Tom Herman trend on Twitter as, te- as, yeah. Texas, as Texas was blowing the lead to Baylor. It is Halloween weekend, and in honor of the Halloween costume that was the most popular when I was in high school, that would be Heath Ledger's Dark Knight. What was the quote of that movie? The, the night is always darkest just before the dawn. So that's a, it's a candy corny quote I'll leave you with, Lance, uh, in, in regards for Texas and Steve Sarkeesian. So, all right, brother. 
Thanks for the Rutgers shout out. You told me you want to do it, but uh, I had I to wait. I don't hate it. You I have waited to, yeah. till the end. We went a little long. So we I went really long. I don't think anyone's still listening anyway. That's so, okay. uh, uh, and also last thing, Caleb Williams for Heisman, man, six touchdowns, 52, 21 over Texas tech. Caleb Williams, Kenneth Walker, Bryce Young, get those guys in New York. Maybe throw Jordan Davis from Georgia in there too. Our producers, Lance Glenn, Andy, our co-host today too. So Lance, thank you. Have a great Halloween. My name is Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the college football daily preview and some action and that night's college football playoff rankings. Have a good one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.